listener production. Spider-Man, <laughs> the musical that became Broadway's biggest flop. You hate it when people sing, so I'm sure you just really, really struggled watching me do that. When right you now. first, when you came out with Spider-Man, I was like, oh, is that a song from the musical? It's not. It's better than some okay. of the songs <laughs> that were in this musical. Hello, listeners. You're about to hear an episode about the biggest fail in Broadway history, Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, with our very good friend, Nat, from Nat's What I Reckon, whose new book just launched today. Woo-hoo. Congratulations to Nat. It's out now. I've got my copy already. I've downloaded the audiobook mm-hmm. and I'll be enjoying that in the next couple of days, I'm sure. It's called Life, What Nat to Do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we get to the episode, Nat's going to tell us all about it. Um, I'm so looking forward to taking it in. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Not we today. Are about to get into the episode, but we have to give a couple of updates. First of all, um, we dedicate this episode to Sir Alfred Nasseri. Mm-hmm. Um, May his rest in peace. A lot of you got in touch with us to let us know that he very, very, very sadly died. Um, and yes, of course, that happens to all of us. But um, for Sir Alfred, Lindsay and I didn't realise this, but he'd actually moved back into mm. the Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris and was living there um, as an unhoused person again by choice. Mm. So he wasn't stuck there. He was just choosing to stay there. Um, yeah, an airport official said in an article that I read that it was kind of like when prisoners get out of prison and um, have been in for such a long time that they struggled to make it on the outside. Because mm, you know, he was stuck in that airport for 15, 16 yeah. years. You can imagine the toll that took on mm-hmm. his mental health. Um, that is one of the most extraordinary stories I think we've ever told here on mm-hmm. Just the Gist. Rosie did a fantastic job. Um Summing that one up, so um, hopefully all of you have listened to it. If you haven't, definitely go and seek it out. Um, but, yeah, hopefully he is at peace now. And I hope that there's some sort of plaque or mm. something in his honour. If there's not yet, I'm sure there there yeah. will be. Um, and on some lighter news, mm-hmm. uh, we're thrilled to let you know that the um, Melbourne Aquarium's favourite on-again, off-again couple, <laughs> the Gay Penguins, um, whose names are... Klaus and Jones. Klaus and Jones. They're back together. Yes, Rosie introduced this love story to us last year. Mm. It's mating season again for the penguins in the zoo. So Klaus and Jones have rekindled their love. Mm. Obviously, they can't uh, fertilise an egg themselves, Mm -hmm. but they can take care of a dummy egg and uh, practice being dads. Yeah. So they're building a nest together. Very sweet. And they've done it in the correct location Mm. this time. So they're going to get their egg. Let's hope they can make it work. Good luck. And stick together this time. (laughs) Oh, we're rooting for you, boys. Um, Okay, we should go ahead and jump into this episode. Um, Enjoy the Spidenfreude, which is um, a term that everyone was using in New York City at the time because, of course, Schadenfreude is when you take great pleasure in someone Mm -hmm. else's demise and failures and all of New York City in particular was taking great, great pleasure um, in watching Spider-Man just continue to fail and fail and fail. This was a production that had, in theory, a whole lot of potential, but sadly it got tamored along the way. What did you Mm -hmm. think of it? I think it reminded me a lot of when people would go on Australian Idol and completely fail in their auditions and you'd be at home thinking, I wish someone in their family had just stopped them and said, you just don't have what it takes. (laughs) There were so many people in this story who just wanted someone in their personal life to pull them aside Mm. and be like, think about something else. 
Yeah. Look, honestly, I think a bunch of these people, they just wouldn't have heard it, even if people no. had told them no along the way. Anyway, listeners, enjoy. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Just the Gist, a weeklyish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party. And this week, our very, very special guest is Nat from Nat's What I Reckon. G'day, 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 g'day. If there's anyone you want to have at a dinner party, it is Nat from Nat's What I Reckon. Yeah. How you doing? <laughs> I can think of a few people's dinner parties that probably don't want me there. <laughs> It's the kind of non-swearing household. You might fucking give me a miss. Uh, we just recently recorded an episode about Mormons. You might not necessarily be welcome at their dinner tables. Yeah, the possibly time. not. Mm. Um, so, Nat, welcome to Just the Gist. Thanks. Big thrill having you here. Yeah, I'm really excited. We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, before we get into the story, of course, we'd love to hear just the gist of who is Nat, what he does. Please give us just the gist of you. So I'm like a, like a high-functioning kind of mess. I um, I'm a comedian mm-hmm. or a comic or whatever the I don't know. If you're in a hurry, say comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I run a YouTube channel and all those other fucking annoying things like TikTok and uh, the other one. Yeah, I make a lot. I do a lot of food food videos. So I, make, I make a lot of like cut the shit mm-hmm. kind of recipe videos. Uh, I also wander around trade shows and hang shit on boats. And <laughs> it's like I, I kind of can't decide what I'm doing at the moment. I've um. Been writing some books, mm-hmm. so there's some of that going on. Um, I do stand up comedy. I uh, I try new medications that sometimes don't work, and uh, I drink Jack Daniels with my mate. So, uh, <laughs> and a boy, that's me. Cheers, it's me today. Lots of fingers in lots of pies, and mm. um, yeah, you mentioned books. Well, You've got a new one coming out. I do. Pretty yeah, soon. Tell yeah, us about it. Really soon. Um, the book's called Life, What Nat to Do. It's very, very, is that punny? I think it's punny. No, it's not punny. It's not a pun, is it? It's a good thing I've written books and I know what the fuck a pun is. <laughs> it's a play on words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just edit that out. Is there a dump button on this thing? <laughs> dump it. Dump it. Rip the handbrake up. Um, it's, a, it's a book about the thing with me, I suppose, and what I do is that, like, I, I hate bullshit. I mm-hmm. hate just stuff, that, you know, it doesn't need to happen, doesn't need to be. Like good vibes only is a good way to explain it. I fucking hate reading those signs because mm. it's not good vibes only. Mm. It's actually like quite a shit day. Thanks mm. very much, Tar. Mm. So the new book's kind of about that. The last one was a recipe book that we uh, was illustrated by four of my amazing friends uh, into like a comic form. So it's mm-hmm. like a recipe book. So they're all very impatient books. But this one's, um, yeah, this one's j- just all those shit sayings like, you know, Everything happens for a reason. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm just mm-hmm. absolutely fucking tear into those. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I think they're absolute shit. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty much the book. Uh, yeah. Love it. No holds bar um, critique nah. of that sort of toxic positivity yeah. culture. It's exhausting. It's fucking exhausting. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know if you'd be willing to give us a little bit of a sample, a little... Mm. crumb of one of your nuggets of wisdom that can be found in the book. So the the one that I really don't like, the, the every, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, bothers mm. me a lot. I think because it says, it says that, you know, you just kind of, you should just like, hang in there and suffer mm. for the sake of suffering and you'll come out the other end a better person. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, well, it's, it's not the fucking case. Often the case is that uh, having my lung removed because I had tuberculosis 
has left me breathless and a little less strong. Thanks very much. <laughs> but it doesn't really take into consideration that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, all this broad sweeping like, why don't you live, laugh and love? And it's like, what? hey, I'm going through some shit right now. I don't need to be fucking doing all that stuff. Mm. I find it quite demanding. Mm. So, yeah, I, I find all those signs, you know, often in beach cafes and stuff and it's like even signs that just say eat, it sits on top of your fridge. It's like, fuck, I know <laughs> that I need to eat. Thanks very much. Cheers for the heads up. Or beach, that's a good one. You rent a motel near the beach, there's always a fucking... Wooden sign man at Driftwood saying beach. Yes, that's Season right. Sand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Thank you very much for all that. Uh-huh. That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the vibe. Uh-huh. That's the good the good vibe only. Okay, so while we're waiting for the book, there's yeah. plenty of content on your YouTube channel, obviously, and yeah. some people might not be aware. You also have a fantastic podcast that you do with your wonderful partner, I do. Jules. Yeah, yeah. Which Jules does most of the work. I should. Should give her that shout out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called Food Crime. Mm-hmm. It's um, yeah, uh, Toby and Steph. There's two other people that help. Uh, who, who will write the uh, write these um, or research and write, help write some of the the stories behind these food crimes. So there's like histories of like lead poisoning in the Roman Empire mm. and stuff. And there's all these like crazy fucking stories. There's like sausage kings of. <laughs> the Sausage King of Australia. Like, mm-hmm. you'd have no idea who that was. And it's a very fucking hilarious, it's a very funny story. Mm. I don't know anything about the story. So I kind of get it, I get it, I get off pretty easy. Mm. I turn up, Jules reads me these really full on stories about mm. this. It's a kind of, seems like we've flogged your idea here a little bit. <laughs> but, um, turn up, reads me these really wild stories and mm. I just hang shit on it pretty yeah. much the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it works. It works. And, um, it certainly does, and it's meant that you've got plenty of practice behind you to come in and yeah. do it here today because oh, that's flex. exactly what yeah. you're doing. <laughs> so the food crime is only available on Spotify, right? Yeah. That's the only that's platform. Right. Yeah. Yep. And there's a whole season there that everyone can go and binge. Yeah. And there's a season two in the works, I there's believe. There's a season two in the works, I believe, yeah. Well, you know, let's, fingers crossed. Yeah. Go and subscribe, follow there, and um, it'll be out relatively soon. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. It's going to be amazing. So we're going to get to the story that you'll be hanging shit on, but before we do, you've come prepared for two truths and a lie. Right, so straight up. Okay. Let's go. Tell okay, us your three so statements, Lindsay and I. So I'll tell you which ones. Uh, I'm not telling you which one. I'm talking about. Okay. I used to play saxophone in a covers band that played Beethoven covers <laughs> for two years. For two, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. That's okay. number one. Um. <laughs> I uh, I painted an entire old uh, Fiat convertible, mm-hmm. entire blackener, <laughs> to impress my mum. Uh, <laughs> okay, yep, yep, yep. Um, on a family holiday to Canada once, I was listening to, I went snowboarding in Canada, mm-hmm. I was listening to Break Stuff, the Limp Biscuit song, on uh-huh. my headphones mm-hmm. while snowboarding. And fell over and broke my arm and spent the rest of the holiday in hospital. Okay. All right. So we've got the saxophone. Saxophone. Classical the saxophone. music playing the saxophone. Yeah. So for reinterpreting two years. the Beethoven classics for two years. How old were you at the time? Eleven. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And then we've got the Fiat. Did you or your mum or anyone you know own the Fiat or did it belong yeah, to a stranger? It. it was your mum. Mum owned it, yeah. And how old were you at the time? Four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got Limp Biscuit and Broke. Which of your Break arms? Break stuff. Oh, my left arm. Left I've got arm. a got a scarf from where the plate is. Okay. Well, there's an obvious mm. truth. So, <laughs> Lindsay, what are you leaning towards? It's tough, isn't it? I'm leaning towards the Fiat being a lie. Just <laughs> thinking four years old, hand-eye coordination, yeah. ability to hold your finger. I'm imagining it's coming out of a, like, pressurised can. Spray bottle thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it wasn't aerosol. It was like a hand spray okay. thing. Yeah. I just imagine an entire <laughs> car when you're four, that much strength in the hand. Mm-hmm. Not sure it? if it's there yet. I didn't do a good job of it. Okay. <laughs> but I did piss my family off quite a lot. <laughs> okay. So you're calling bullshit on that one? You're calling That's bullshit fair. on that. That's on fair. the car, yep. So I'm going to call bullshit on the saxophone. I <laughs> I hope you did play the saxophone, but I'm hoping it was some other sort of genre of covers and you've tried to <laughs> throw in the red herring there with the Beethoven. So I'm going to call that a lie that's kind of close to the truth. <laughs> Is that locked in? They're both locked in. You're both wrong. Oh. Shut up. You're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's never happened. I know. How good is my bullshit? <gasps> oh, you skillful sly dog. Yeah, thanks. I have actually broken my arm on that side and do have a plate in there, but not from that. Nothing Limp biscuit related. No, but that was a good move. That was a good last mm. minute. I, I did well there. I'm proud of me. Brilliant. I'm proud right. of you both for picking the wrong one too. Yeah, Mum was very unhappy with the Fiat paint job. <laughs> was she able to get the car restored or was that? I think, yeah, there was a bit of like, yeah, hose in the driveway. I think yeah. it, I don't think they have tyre blackener anymore. I think it's just like the the, the technology isn't improved. Mm. So I don't think it's just like paint. Mm-hmm. I think it was what it used to be. So, yeah, I just I, I went around just loving it. I was also into matches too, which was problematic. <laughs> okay, now tell us about the saxophone. Yeah, Please. I was playing the school band and, mm-hmm. like, you got to pick an instrument and I picked saxophone. <laughs> My sister picked clarinet. Mm. So I think I've got a quite a good impression of the clarinet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't – no, she was better at it than, than that. But I um, – yeah, I picked uh, the saxophone. So for a couple of years in the school band, mm. played saxophone, but you didn't get to play any cool shit. You just played fucking Beethoven, Ode mm. to Joy. It's not, yeah, it really let me down. I gave up the saxophone at that point. And is there a story behind the breakage in the arm? Yeah, there's a couple. I've done it twice. The first time I slipped over, I went to kick a ball. I think it was like a bit wet. Slipped over and my wrist hit my hip and snapped it. Both the bones just. Yeah, pretty gross. Oh. The second time was two is extra dry. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I think I was dropping in on a ramp in my house, an escape ramp. Mm. I ate shit and just bang, I shattered my wrist that time. That was in my 20s. <sighs> okay, so you are going to relate to one of the people in this story. I'm fucking ready. Point. This is going to be yes. very close to the bone. So that's probably <laughs> a good way to um, jump right in. Hell yeah. Before I get into telling you what the story's about, I just want to tell you the first bit of research I did was listen to a full 13-hour audiobook about Fuck. 
this saga written from the perspective of one of the people thirteen hours of audiobook. Yeah, that's pretty standard. They're usually like eight to Mine's 15. four. Is it? Oh, you've I read record, it. I've you've rec- done an audio version. I've done f- three. Oh. Mine are like three and f- like five hours. Yeah, right. Mine. So that is a fucking Bible. Yes. Yeah. That's some fucking Lord of the Rings shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, it yeah. Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Someone break your arm? Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's got that sort of level of intensity to it, but yeah. it reads a bit more like a psychological slash political thriller with like a dash of horror movie in there mm. and it's like... Really, really intense. And after wow. a few hours of solid listening, I could feel my heart was beating fast and my breath was getting kind of shallow. And I took a break, paused, mm. took my headphones off. And you know when you take a step away from something, you see it more clearly for what it actually is. And mm-hmm. I had this moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, I thought this was just going to be a funny book about the very silly story of the time a bunch of people tried to put on a musical Broadway production production of Spider-Man featuring the music <laughs> of U2 and what I'm listening Sorry, to. Sorry, what featuring the music of U2? U2. <laughs> Fucking hell. But the book reads like it's life and death stakes from very early on in there. Um, so I'm not like I shouldn't just try and find out what this book is or anything. I'm just just taking this in, right? You're going to get the gist of what is in the book. I'm so yes. ready. I'm so... F- what and the fuck is this book? <laughs> Audio book? This fucking series of 15 fucking, like a Britannica encyclopedia-sized book? <gasps> let, let it rip. I'm keen. Okay. So this is just the gist of Broadway's most ambitious, most expensive production ever. <laughs> it's just the gist also of Broadway's biggest ever flop called Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Fucking oath. Do you know anything about this <laughs> no, at all? I don't. But You're... I really, really do want to know everything about it. All right, so we'll kick off in 2002. The mm-hmm. first Spider-Man movie that starred Kirsten Dunstan and Tobey Maguire Mm-hmm. came out, enormous hit. You've probably have, yeah. seen it, yeah. Lindsay. You've mm-hmm. probably That's seen it. That's the Upside it. Down yeah. Kiss one. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. They all are a blur to me, to be honest. <laughs> um, it brought in more than $700 million profit yeah. at the box office alone, and then you can imagine how successful the merch was and the DVD sales. Imagine if they'd forced the DVD onto everyone's DVD player. You know, <laughs> like you too. It's just every new Samsung TV just comes free with Spider-Man. I mean, they would have made more money. The execs obviously very thrilled at Marvel and Sony and mm-hmm. they wanted to keep the cash just rolling on in and they were very interested in exploring the possibility of a live stage show adaptation of the movie because Disney was making a mozza with stage versions of The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, and Marvel and Sony were like, we want a piece of that pie. No one had attempted a superhero Broadway musical since 1966 with (laughs) very good reason. That 1966 show was a musical version of Superman called It's a Bird, It's a Plane, and It Stunk. (laughs) It cost way more than any production before it had ever cost and the audiences hated it. So ticket sales were dreadful. It closed after a few months. Explains the gap in uh, attempts. Right? It seemed that people had learned their lesson. Mm -hmm. No one wants to see a Superman 
musical or any superhero <laughs> musical on Broadway. That was a big warning sign. <laughs> Don't repeat history. And it was the first of many warning signs that would go ignored over yeah. the course of the next few years. The executives met with a whole bunch of different Broadway producers, gave them a chance to pitch what they would do with the Spider-Man character on stage. And in the end, their choice of producer was this really charming Irish guy called Tony Adams who wasn't super experienced in stage musicals specifically, but he was like known as a really good leader, excellent businessman, and he was also super well-connected. So they promised Tony they'd give him the rights to Spider-Man if he could find the right people to write the show, direct the show, Mm -hmm. score the show. And Tony knew the perfect musicians to bring on board first. He called up his mates from back home in Ireland, Bono and the Edge. (laughs) It would have been my first go-to as well. (laughs) Call you too. Fucking give him a ring. They were the biggest band in the world at the time. And he was like, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's go big. Let's get these boys involved. So he called them up, asked them if they'd consider coming on board. (laughs) Testament to Tony's powers. Fly on the wall for that phone call. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to know how much convincing they required because they strike me as the type of guys that have just supreme confidence in their talents and their abilities Mm. who would have been sort of like, yeah, sure, we can write a musical. We know nothing about musicals. We've got no interest in musicals, but we could yeah. we could do that because we can do just about anything. Yeah, They agreed, we're yeah. going to come on board. Yeah, Through Bono's connections, Tony was then connected to the woman who directed the most profitable theatrical show in history, The Lion King on stage mm-hmm. adaptation. Her name's Julie Taymor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bono gave her a call and then Tony gave her a call, asked her to come on board as writer and director. Mm -hmm. She was intrigued, but comic books and action movies really weren't her vibe. She's very artsy, fartsy, artiste type director, more into things like avant-garde Shakespeare productions and like uh, traditional Indonesian dance interpretations, which is part of what made The Lion King so spectacular and so Mm -hmm. successful because she brought that sort of artistic flair to something that, you know, also had a commercial edge. Very creative woman, only ever wanted to do jobs that meant something to her and she just didn't see a way into the world of Spider-Man for herself. Tony pleaded with her and she agreed she'd do a bit of research, a bit of soul-searching, and that's when she found out that the Spider-Man comic books once made a passing reference to a character from classical Greek mythology called Arachne. So, in a nutshell, Arachne was the first spider, but mm-hmm. originally she was a mortal human woman and she was very, very talented when it came to weaving. And everyone praised her for how gorgeous her work was. And so she developed a bit of an ego and started saying that she was even better at weaving than the goddess Athena. And That'd Athena cool. was the goddess of many things, one of which was weaving. Mm-hmm. Athena didn't like it very much when that message got back to her that there was this girl, Arachne, claiming that she was a better weaver than Athena was. Mm -hmm. So she organised a competition between her and Arachne to find out who was the best. A weave-off. It's a weave-off. Exactly. And Arachne won. And so as punishment, Athena destroyed the work that Arachne had created. And so Arachne then hung herself 
in shame for what she'd done and for the amount of hubris she'd displayed. Uh, But just before she died, Athena transformed her into a spider. This was a story that Julie Taymor felt had some rich themes that she could develop and could insert into the This, comic book Spider-Man yeah, story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she entered this project hoping that she'd be able to make grand statements about how superheroes are to us today, what the gods of ancient Greece were 3,000 years ago. And she completely along the way missed the irony that that story of Arachne is about a creative genius with a lot of hubris who suffers terrible consequences for her own arrogance. Okay. She was inspired and she told Tony to count her in. She was on board as long as she could include the story of Arachne. So the crew was starting to assemble. You had Julie as writer and director. Then you got Tony as producer. He's financially responsible for the show and kind of like he owned the ship. This was ultimately his project. Mm -hmm. And then you had Bono and the Edge that were in charge of the onboard entertainment on the ship. Uh, Yeah, just let them do what they'll do. Mm. Uh, Before anyone, including Marvel, was ready to commit, they needed to approve the story, which could have been oh so very, very simple. I feel like (laughs) all of us know the Peter Parker, Spider-Man origin story. It's bitten by a spider, gets rad, that's it. Don't, don't, Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Yeah. Tried and true. But Julie didn't want to make a simple story with superheroes and supervillains and love interests. She wanted metaphors. She wanted to make big, sweeping statements about our fascination with humans who are gifted with the powers of animals and how Spider-Man is the next in this long lineage of heroes from all around the world, all different cultures. I can't help but think, sorry to interrupt, I can't help but think an an on-ice version of this would have really gone well too, just to complicate the uh, issue a bit more. Oh, my, yeah. Big Disney thing, right, just Mm -hmm. on-ice, never mind what that sounds like. But the, uh, the That was where my brain went first. Yeah, exactly, a Disney on-ice. What? (laughs) (laughs) It's meth, Disney, it's going to be a hard one to get sponsored, that one. I... Look, oh. that would have been the only way they could have ended up making this more complicated. Right. If they made it and <laughs> on there. It's an option. Yeah. Uh, Julie mm. needed some co-writers who were going to help get the story out of her. She worked with a bunch <laughs> of them. It wasn't going well. They all got fired. One of them she brought on board had to be let go because he kept trying to get everyone on board with this idea of trying to insert as much foot fetish content <laughs> as they could in the show because spiders... Famously, eight feet. And how sexy would that be? Oh, right. Touch on the multiple feet fetish thing. Yeah, they run that by by Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) I think Marvel got to shoot it down even before Bono got to. Um, Eventually, Julie found a collaborator she felt like she could work with this guy, Glenn Berger, who was the guy who wrote the book. Glenn was really just a nobody in mm-hmm. this crew. All the others were established, well-respected, multi-millionaires and heaps of credits to their name. He'd written a couple of moderately successful plays, but he somehow fell into this gig and he was absolutely desperate to make it a success and really desperate to impress Julie. She was a bit of a hero who he worshipped. Mm-hmm. Glenn helped Julie tone down some of the esoteric uh abstract Greek mythology stuff in the story and put together something that Marvel tentatively approved with a few caveats. So then the time came for everyone to sign their contracts and they decided they were going to make this little administrative task a bit of an event because they were certain 
they were about to be part of the greatest sensation in the history of entertainment. Oh, fuck. Up until now, this is exactly what that sounds like to mm. me. Mm. This is <laughs> exactly what it... There is no way that this isn't going to be rad or an absolute nosediving... It can't fail with a team like this. I know. With Bono, Edge, Julie Taymor. So many chefs in this kitchen. fail. And so signing the contract felt like this historic moment for them. So they all gathered together for a little party at the Edge's apartment in New York City. Time came to sign the papers. Edge left the room to go get a pen. When he came back, Tony was on the floor. He'd had a really bad stroke. The ambulance was called. He was rushed to hospital and he died in a matter of hours. Only 52 years old. Wow. Obviously, tragic shock for everyone involved. And a lot of people looking back are sort of like, that's when you should have known this production was maybe cursed and maybe not something that you should have even tried to continue on with without Tony, who was really sort of the head honcho. You probably should have shut it down at that time. But the rest of the crew, Julie, Bono, Glenn, Edge, they felt the opposite. They felt they needed to continue with the show. Oh, no, it became like a passion project. Yeah. yeah. In his honour, the show had to go on. fuck. They also had this little superstitious belief that Tony was watching over them and he was going to help make sure that this show was a hit. Heartbreaks, complicated stuff and losses, you know, Mm. does that stuff, you know, makes people feel profound things you don't know what to do with. Imagine like... Yeah, as a creative, I've definitely like overfelt some situations in my life that are, mm. you know, after I've had a minute to kind of, you know, gather my thoughts and things, you know, I've been like, whoa, that poem was pretty intense, <laughs> you know. But uh, I'm not saying it wasn't valid, but yeah, this uh, with this setup, mm. we're in danger. Yeah. We're in yeah. fucking big danger here. And yes, you're right, everyone was sort of more emotionally attached to each other because of the grief yeah. process they've gone oh, to. They were all mess. together in the room when Tony died. Oh. <laughs> it all became very, very personal for them. They decided to press ahead with the project and by default, Tony's business partner took over as producer. He was a lawyer. His name was David Garfinkel and he had no experience producing anything ever over the course of his career. He'd actually just fairly recently partnered up with Tony so that he could learn about show business from mm. nothing from Tony. He, it was making him, the producer was kind of like making The Apprentice the foreman on a yeah. construction site. Yeah. David knew he was in over his head though. And so he just handed all creative control over to Julie. She was having- needs more passion, doesn't it? It does. It needs more mm, passion. Mm, and mm, the most passionate mm. person in the room. Well, I like. I think that that's. I think mm. that's good. I like. I like a, an overly creative person. Mm. How messy that is! <laughs> this situation does not need that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm excited. That is, um, yeah, a really good way to describe Julie. The most passionate person in the room, also the loudest person yeah. in the room, um, and they, a they temper that can well. go from zero to ten. Oh, okay, just like that. Yep. Yeah. So she's in charge now, completely. Okay. She's got autonomous control, and. She, with Bono, Edge and Glenn, got stuck into writing the script and all the songs. And this is when they get trapped in that creative bubble 
of ego and mutual admiration and ambition, <laughs> all just sort of trapped in this collective hive mindset where they were all oh, high <laughs> off their own brilliance as well as then their collective brilliance. Yeah. And they were sort of like, we're all geniuses. Therefore, all of our ideas must objectively be excellent. They all completely bought each other's bullshit, their own bullshit. They really so thought they were going to blow people's so minds with the story, the set, the songs, <laughs> the costumes. They had these like marathon writing sessions together where they'd have the Matrix movies playing in the background and Radiohead albums playing to give them the inspiration they needed <clears throat> through all different senses. And they were coming up with all these epic ideas like having Spider-Man fight the Green Goblin while they're flying in circles That's what over I would the have suggested. audience. Yeah, I would have suggested that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's right there. Why has no one thought of this before? Oh, nice. Um, They had this idea of a giant spider web that sort of emerged from the ceiling and descended over the entire theatre while Spider-Man and Arachne are running around (laughs) fighting all over all edges of it. Just lots of stuff flying in all directions, mostly over the audience, lots and lots of moving sets. They just went no holds barred, <laughs> no idea's a bad idea, let's put it all out there because we'll be able to find a way to make it happen. Yeah, it sounds so extra. This mm. whole thing is so bananas that it needs, like, I, I love this. I wish I was involved. <laughs> it would, I'm sure they were having a lot of fun together I could, yeah. in this process. Yeah, it's a big kind of like, yeah, it's like a best off. We're mm. like the best. You're the best. No, this is the best. It's like a, it's like if there was an art gallery that you could like just it was like free for all go show your art you know which mm. I think is actually quite a good idea mm. but you know but you have to profound your way in there you know what I mean you're the most profound <laughs> so it kind of sounds like what's going on everyone's just like more is it, I've got a profound idea but the, mm. the, that kind of turbine of self congratulations is so yeah. so dangerous yeah. and so exciting yeah. I'm really excited yeah completely I'm really excited <laughs> So after these writing sessions, they had their first draft of their script, they had the first draft of their songs, and in those sessions is when they came up with the name Turn Off the Dark. (laughs) No one likes it. We'll put it out there. Do you want to have a guess? I love it. (laughs) It's opposite day. Once again. (laughs) Turn Off the Dark. Does that mean switch the lights on? Yeah. Turn Off the Dark really has nothing to do with the story they've come up with. It's just that either Bono or The Edge, one of them told this cute story about how one of their friend's kids said to their parent, turn off the dark, meaning turn on the light. And Julie decided that was the profound beauty of a child's mind and they all agreed, yep, that's that's the name of this story. Have you ever written poetry when you're drunk? Like, (laughs) that's what's going on, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't have kids and I don't pretend... But it's like being a parent and being so excited. He's like, look at that drawing. Stick it on the fridge. Mm. That drawing's shit. <laughs> but like, you know, that's the way you feel when you're pissed and you're writing poetry. You know? yeah, yeah. I've got books and books of just the worst, worst. I'm a big poetry fan. And I uh-huh. just like love writing poetry and I was just reading some of the stuff from when I was younger. I'm like, fuck, it's just, it, it's, yeah, I'm getting triggered by some of this stuff. <laughs> I'm happy to say if I've ever done that, gotten drunk and written poetry, I got drunk enough that I managed to forget about having yep. done it. Or read it in the morning and we're like, fuck oh. off. No, like, thank, what goodness, no. thank goodness no. Thank goodness no. Get rid of it in the oven. So they had the name. 
They had their um, epic vision that they were very, very caught up in. They couldn't step back and see what they were making was just a dirty, big mess. And <laughs> it was going to be mess. a very expensive mess. To achieve Julie's vision of bringing cinematic special effects to a live stage performance, the budget for the show went from $20 million, which was already huge and record-breaking, up to $30 million. I'll chuck in 10 bucks <laughs> <laughs> To get to see what a shit show this is. So you might already be at the point where you might have considered buying a ticket knowing some of this oh, information. You are. I'm first in line. I'm like camp outside the CD shop to get the Slipknot CD. I'm there. Okay. I'm we not got you on board out. sooner than I'd expected. Oh, as if none of us would go. We're all going. Oh, yeah. I Knowing what I know about this now, I wouldn't miss yeah, out Yeah, it's on an it. ironic going. Yeah. Like I'm not going because I'm like this. Sounds, <laughs> I'm not having a poetry moment about it, but I'm mm. like, fucking, this sounds like a ripper. Where is it at? New York City. Right, okay. Um, So, yeah, Julie was like, this is going to be my magnum opus. Someone go out and find an extra $10 million so I can bring this to life. We are sparing (laughs) no expense. So they proudly announced to the media the show's name, the concept, and the budget. That was one of the things they were actually most proud of, that they were going to be spending more than anyone had ever spent on a musical. But they said it wasn't a musical. It was a rock and roll circus drama. (laughs) And would only ever refer to it as such. They also. It's <laughs> oh, it sounds like tr- to the, oh, I just turned my hat backwards, and now yeah. it's a cool dude rock and roll show. But don't you worry, mate. We got a couple of cool guys coming down. It's going to be pretty cool. Don't you worry about it. Sick. It's sick. Yeah. There's a shocker in there for sure. Oh. Blah. Cringe. Um, they also announced the stars of the show were going to include Evan Rachel Wood, who was pretty big at mm-hmm. the time, and Alan Cumming. He's a pretty big name. So the show started getting quite a bit of buzz, and it had been bogged down with a lot of delays over the course of a few years, and it was still a while away from opening, but people were starting to get pretty excited, except for all the <laughs> Spider-Man fanboys online who were furious <laughs> about the concept of a singing, dancing Spider-Man, <laughs> their favourite hero doing, like, flamboyant high kicks. They were fuming uh. and they launched petitions to try to shut the entire project down. Uh. You can just picture the comic book guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> Worst it idea is, yeah. ever. Um, that just made the creative team more determined to make this the greatest show the world has ever seen. Yeah, stick it to that Reddit subreddit. That's right, yeah. we'll show those fanboys. Um, they started briefing engineers on the tech they were going to need and the engineers were mostly like, that technology doesn't exist. We'll do our best to invent it, but it's going to be very expensive. It needs, I need, someone needs to invent a wheel. Yeah, it needs that. It needs that. This is what the world requires. Mm -hmm. So now the budget was starting to get closer to $40 million to be able to make this show happen. I'm surprised they haven't hit 100 yet. (laughs) We're going to get very close by the end. I've ruined it. (laughs) They took out a lease on a theatre for $4 million just to sit there while it was being renovated because it'll have to be totally gutted to be able to then bring in all these elaborate sets with all this new technology that was hopefully going to be invented. Cash was just flying out the door Mm. every single day and then 
we're up to 2008 now, the global financial crisis hit. Yeah. And so they were basically fucked because a lot of the investors asked to have their money back. The show went into crisis mode. It was put on hold. It nearly died at that point, but then it was resuscitated by Bono reaching out to his rich mates, mostly in Silicon Valley, and saying, hey, could you just chuck us five mil because we really want to make this, this show happen. This is going to be so and All these tech bros were like, I love Spider-Man. I want to see this happen. And they also had like a hero worship relationship with Bono and they were like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Have my cash. I want to support your mate and you can afford it, I suppose. But like, he probably didn't tell him the whole story. <laughs> but he's probably like, look, it's the Spider-Man thing. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan Rachel Wood dropped out and then came back and then dropped out again and then Alan Cumming had to drop out because there were these big long delays and they'd been paying him buckets of money as a retainer to keep him in the cast but eventually they had to let him go so then they were going through all these recasting dramas and I mentioned all of that, the financial troubles and the casting troubles because that is when the chat about the production shifted from calling it the Spider-Man musical that was highly anticipated (laughs) to the Spider-Man musical that was troubled. And from then on, there was lots and lots of debate about whether the show was ever going to make it to stage. And there was also a real desire in a lot of people to see the show fail. From then on, Anytime the show experienced a setback, and there were a lot of them, it made headlines. Yeah, a lot of people were all over fascinated it. and just invested in the drama of what was going on behind the scenes at the production. So it was being really heavily scrutinised, more so than any production before it. Then the day came when they were ready for their first read-through of the script with the new cast, and that is when some of them realised... This was a fucking dumpster fire. Mm. The script didn't make sense. The dialogue (laughs) was bad. Songs, not very good. And Glenn was cringing because he could see that the script (laughs) needed massive surgery, like intense work. But Julie was just like, no, you're wrong. No, just needs a couple of small cosmetic tweaks. Um, Onwards, continue. Bono and Edge, meanwhile, were off on world tours with U2 mm-hmm. and they were, like, meeting with world leaders to solve mm-hmm. poverty. So it was just Julie and her ego in charge and Glenn wasn't in a position where he felt like he could push back on her. Mm-hmm. Her creative choices gradually bumped up the costs again, getting it close to $65 million to get the show on the stage. They were going to need to sell lots and lots of tickets to make that money back and Julie had nothing but confidence that they would and she went ahead and organised some demonstration performances for ticket agents and media who were going to be the most critical people to help make sure that they did actually sell a lot of tickets. This was an important part of their marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. She wanted to give them a taste of the show. So think a demonstration on stage of different Spider-Men swinging around (laughs) in the air, flipping and kicking and fighting and with their webs. Very impressive 10-minute display. (laughs) During that 10-minute live demo, one stuntman broke both his wrists. He was listening to break stuff on his headphones, that's why, (laughs) yeah. And another of the stuntmen broke his foot. Fuck. Just in that 10 minutes. Needed that. 
So that demo performance ended up giving a very honest, raw display (laughs) of what audiences could expect from the Spider-Man musical because those were the first of many injuries that plagued the production once it got underway. (laughs) I love that this has gone to now, like, I mean, I don't like it. I don't like the people getting hurt, but Mm. this story need, like... Needs to have more broken bones, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> doesn't it doesn't story. need anything. No, I just mean it's just so so perfect that now people just oh, I'm going to shut the fuck up and just let you finish. It's going to get worse, bud. So we'll jump to November 2010 when they started doing the first preview shows. The first one was on <laughs> November 28th. It was the first time they'd ever tried to run the show from start to finish without stopping. Okay. And they did it in front of an audience. That's a really good idea. Mm. I've done that before. Mm. Nothing went wrong. Yeah. They had no alternative because the aerial stunts were super complicated and the set moved around so much and was so elaborate they had never made it successfully to the end of a dress rehearsal. They had to keep stopping because things kept fucking up. And when I say things kept fucking up, it was... Like, one time they had to stop because a crew member nearly got decapitated (gasps) by two bits of scenery moving up against each other. It was a really, really near miss. (laughs) They hadn't even done a tech run for the last ten minutes of the show. You don't need to do those. You never (laughs) sprawled up a one. Something like this that involves all these cables and flying. Wing it. Hashtag wing it. (laughs) Boo. Um... They debated before the show, should we just not show the last 10 minutes and explain to everyone, sorry, guys, we're not quite ready, or should we just have a crack, roll the dice and hope for the best? That's what they decided to do in the end. They took a deep breath, crossed their fingers, let the audience into the theatre to take their seats. I reckon there was like a staff room moment where they were all like sitting around. I've been like, I tried to sell Foxtel once upon a time <laughs> and like for this like commission only... Uh, who cares? Anyway, mm. but like they do like a big G up oh, before yeah. everyone goes out and they're like, mm. clap in your hands, everyone is the best. <laughs> no tech rehearsal, break your leg. That's fucking, yeah. I imagine they're like G-ing everyone up. There's a couple of tears. Like, yeah, yeah. this is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they definitely would have had some sort of prayer circle for sure. Oh, and fuck. Yeah, they it wasn't would big have been clapping. Um, the show ran more than an hour over time because. Surprise, surprise, the tech kept glitching and again and again actors were left hanging in midair for like five to ten minutes at a time while the crew figured out how they were going to get them down to the ground. My favourite happened pretty early on in the show. So in this scene, Spider-Man flicks his web out into the audience up towards the balcony and when it went well, his rigging would make him fly up to the balcony where he'd land in like this magnificent superhero landing. Yeah. On that first night, the rigging jammed just as Superman oh, took off. swung a bit. Yeah. yeah, swung around a little bit and then was just left there dangling <laughs> just a few metres from the stage and just out of reach of anyone who was standing on the stage trying to reach him. So the audience of 2,000 people were sitting there watching as all these stage hands gathered on the stage trying to reach out to the Superman performer. (laughs) And then someone went backstage and came back with a big long stick (laughs) to use to try to prod him into motion. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then 
Literally, it looked like a Spider-Man pinata. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking hell, what a mess. Oh. And then there were other times where, because they had multiple people wearing the Spider-Man outfit who'd be doing different stunts, usually, ideally, just one visible at a time. Yeah, yeah, But then yeah, there'd be a screw-up yeah. and there'd be multiple Spider-Men on stage. Spider-Man and Green Goblin got stuck in the air up above the audience for like 10 <laughs> minutes. It was just a disaster. <laughs> Throw a sheet over them or something? What do you do? Like, what a mess. Cirque do so fucking mess. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. What oh, a fucking hell. Those 2,000 people in the audience made it their mission to tell everybody. I would have, yeah. Yeah, I don't feel good the about the fact I would have done that, but I would have. <laughs> What I'm about not ashamed. Shit show essential. I'd want everyone to know about the tech fails, the story being absolutely incomprehensible. Sorry for forgetting this detail, but what mm. year was this? We are now in 2010. 2010. So there's iPhones going on. Oh, yeah. So there's yeah. footage of this shit. Twitter is a big thing at this stage, so oh, a lot fuck. of this is being shared, yeah. People were talk, telling stories about how ropes were falling out of the ceiling and onto their <laughs> heads throughout the performance. And one of the things people got obsessed with was that there was this whole weird song and dance number that seemed to be about Arachne and her little spider minions being obsessed with high-heeled shoes. And this took off on Twitter instantly. Everyone was laughing at it. It was trending number one. Julie ignored it all, of course. Uh, but everyone else who was involved in the production was absolutely mortified mm. and they were doing their best to try to convince her to make some tweaks to gradually improve the show. The previews continued and it was pretty obvious the official opening was going to have to be moved back a month and a half <laughs> to give reckon? them more time to try to desperately do their best to polish the turd. From preview number three, the reports of injuries started making real serious headlines and yeah. getting heaps more attention than just the embarrassing technical snafus. Like people were really starting to get genuinely worried about the safety of the cast. In that performance, the actress who plays Arachne got clocked in the temple by something swinging through the air, a carabiner, during a show. That gave her such a bad concussion she needed to take a few weeks off yeah. work or she was going to end up with permanent brain damage. Every show there were sprained ankles, a lot of them there were broken bones. And so in the media there was this mix of people seriously calling for the show to be shut down. Yeah, fucking oath, yeah. safety problems. It's not worth putting lives at risk in this way. No. And then also you had people making all these jokes about how, like, the entire cast of Spider-Man is in cast. Ha, ha, ha. And... Every week for a while, Saturday Night Live did a sketch dedicated to how dangerous Spider-Man the musical how was. The that was their running joke. Have I missed this story? Right. It's just so amazing. You would have been very young at the time. Um, people went to the show expecting to see tech fails and also knowing they were probably going to see someone hurt themselves, which was an exciting prospect mm -hmm. for some of the people going. For that reason, a lot of people watched the show with their phone recording the mm -hmm. entire thing, hoping that they were going to capture something that they would then be able to post online and it would end up going viral. That's how someone captured the footage of one of the Spidey stuntmen falling 10 metres onto the ground and very nearly dying. Fucking oath. That's like a few stories. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle this guy survived, but he just barely did. 
So this is like the most infamous accident from the run of this show. Mm. There's this dream sequence in the musical, sorry, circus, rock and roll drama. (laughs) Um, This dream sequence is Peter Parker's nightmare. The Green Goblin's kidnapped his girlfriend, Mary Jane, and he's dangling her off the Brooklyn Bridge. And Peter runs towards her in slow motion while he's running, the platform he's running on rises up higher and higher on hydraulic lifts. He gets to the edge, pauses, and then leaps in the, the air. Not the actual edge. <laughs> no. He Different never made edge, an appearance yeah. on Sorry, stage. you had to do it. <laughs> edge of the platform, ding, ding, boom, boom, love that. Um, leaps into the air yeah. and freezes in midair and scene, cut to black. So he's meant to leap. And then because he's got a safety cable holding on to him, he just hangs in midair without motion. (laughs) It looked really cool when it all went to plan. It sort of looked like a frame in a comic book. But on December 20th, one of the stagehands forgot to secure the stuntman's safety tether. Uh, Fucking hell. didn't freeze in midair like he was expecting. He jumped and then just fell 10 metres down to the bottom of the orchestra pit Everyone there in the theatre heard the crunch and then cue the screams. It was oh, horrific. The audience was asked to leave. The rest of the performance was obviously cancelled, but they were told they'd be given tickets to come back and see the oh, show. Fucking <laughs> a band so handed it out of the door. Miss out on seeing the ending. That stuntman, his name's Chris Tierney, he, like I said, barely survived. His list of injuries was three broken vertebra, four broken bones, two broken arms, two collapsed lungs, lots of internal bleeding, and his skull was cracked open like an egg. Fuck, he survived? He survived. That's that full body cast shit you see in the movies. That's that like, fuck off, someone needs that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yep. And so now it was a reality that if you go to see Spider-Man the Musical, you might see someone die. Oh, mate. He survived, though, right? Dark. He did survive, Fuck yes. near, mm-hmm. nearly, very, very nearly did not. He didn't just survive. He came back to the cast. <laughs> he loved being part of the production so much that once he'd finished his rehab and he was able to, he came back But how long would have that man. been? A year? Yeah. A year. It was still going Mm -hmm. a year later. Mm -hmm. No one had been like, fuck, look how this is going. Knock that on the head. Mm -hmm. No. We're still early on in a run that went for three years. Fuck, I know. Um, Three years. So the previews continued. The official opening of the show kept being pushed out again and again and again while they were (laughs) desperately trying to fix it. And by February of 2011, the theatre critics in New York were like, this is a joke. We've been waiting until you officially open before we review the show. Hang on, how long's it been? Four months. Okay. And they're like, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to publish our reviews. So they all sort of linked arms <laughs> and agreed they were all going to publish. Do you reckon in the same manner that they all had the same chat about the creative process of the actual play itself? Do you reckon the all the reviewers well, got yeah. together <laughs> This is the best of the best here. Let's just let the best of the best rip. Let's let it rip, yeah. All of the reviews were witheringly bad, (laughs) with the exception of like one or two. Yeah. 
Here are just a couple of them. Okay. Julie Taymor's $65 million accident-prone production featuring an erratic score by U2's Bono and the Edge is a teetering colossus that cannot find its bearings as a circus spectacle or as a rock musical. <laughs> the story is sketchy and ill-informed. Some of the dialogue by Taymor and Glenn Berger oh. seems ad-libbed on the spot and there are some very big holes in the story and lots of ancestral rock moaning, lots of 40-storey phallic symbols, lots of bees. Everything people were writing about the show was completely scathing, whether they were writing about the music... The story in particular, the choreography. I mean, most people said that it was just like experiencing a migraine trying sounded to sit through like this two-hour show. It sounded like, you know, when you're a kid and like, I don't know, for some people may have this experience when you've gone and made a play for your parents with all the stuff in the kitchen. Mm. Like, I made a play. Yep. Guys, and just demand everyone sit down and watch your play. You've got the fucking colander on your head and the broom. Yep. No, I'm fucking Batman. <laughs> no, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> kind of feels a little bit like a grown-up version of that. Yeah, like these, the audience is forced to sit through a punishing um, <laughs> display. <laughs> With lots of colanders and brooms, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it was very humiliating for everyone involved. They tried once again to convince Julie make some big changes while they still had the chance. She refused. She wasn't going to compromise her artistic vision. So the executives at Marvel and Bono and The Edge approached Glenn in secret and asked him to write an alternative version (laughs) of the show without telling Julie. They wanted him to do what he needed to do to shuffle the songs around, get rid of the songs that people were mocking the most, like the one about the spiders being obsessed with shoes, cut out pretty much just all of Arachne. And they called this plan Plan X and it was basically an alternative show that they were hoping they'd be putting on or planning to put on. And they were just going to spring it. Spring it on They sprung it on Jules. Um, They tried to get her on board. They were like, this is the show we're going to go ahead with. And she said, no, no. No, no. We either do my show my way or or you fire me. Or the highway. So Julie was fired. Off she went and they brought in a bunch of new writers, new choreographers, new songwriters, along with a new <laughs> director to do their best with this turd of a production. Oh. They were just going to try rolling it in glitter. <laughs> they did their best. Oh, they only yeah. had a few weeks to do that though. So May 2011, <laughs> that was the 182nd preview of the show, and that was the final time. No tech rehearsals yet, though. Still none. None. Don't do them. Uh, That was the final time Julie's version of the show was performed, and a few weeks later, the new revamped 2.0 version of the show officially opened. Was it just the best? By most accounts, it was a bit of an improvement, like they'd removed some of the cringiest elements. For example, like the 1.0 version had this thing they called a geek chorus. Mm -hmm. So you know how in classical Greek theatre, they'd have the Greek chorus and it was a group of people who, you would hate this, they sort of sing a narration of what's going on (laughs) on stage and they break the fourth wall and speak directly to the Mm -hmm. audience about what's going on. In this show, they had four geeks who were like Spider-Man fanboys and they were the ones commenting on all the action that was going on. That had to go. They got rid of the tap dancing spiders and the entire shoe song and they restructured it so the story was a lot easier to follow and cut most of Arachne. Still wasn't great though. General consensus was that it went from being an F minus 
to a C minus. So it was still pretty wild. My parents would have been proud of that, a moral poor card. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just I think scraped so. by with a passing grade. I, I think it was considered like, I'm a C minus kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the middle of the bell curve. You wouldn't know that it's to look bad. at me, but you know, C minus, not bad. <laughs> not a D, so. Yeah. So certainly not an F. There were some people who said it was still close to an F, like just so grievously broken in every way. It was just beyond repair. Mm. And Glenn could look back and see all the times that they went wrong along the way. And it all come down to their hubris, particularly Julie's hubris. They just had way too much confidence in their own talents, just like Arachne had had all those thousands of years ago. The show ran for another two and a half years before ticket sales started to really dip and they finally shut it all down. In those two years, Julie was suing everybody and they uh-huh. were counter-suing her and there was all this infighting and bitching going on in the media. Glenn wrote and published his book all mm-hmm. about the dramas that went on behind the scenes. It's called The Song of Spider-Man. That came on while the show was uh, that came out while the show was oh, still on stage. Fuck. So all of that was what really helped keep the show alive yeah. for that long. It would have died sooner if it wasn't for the scandal that continued to yeah. you know feed interest with all this it's a fucking shit show. Yeah. And, and so, you go see it. Like, totally. you, if I knew all that was going on, there's like books coming out about it and the things are fucking dog's breakfast, yeah. I'd go and watch it. You wouldn't want to miss it. Yeah. I was not a fucking chance I'd miss it. No. No. I mean, the thing was, everyone who stayed in the cast, and a lot of them left, um, particularly after that really bad accident where the guy fell 10 metres, yeah, a lot of them he, left. Did, did he stay in there? He ended up coming back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. did he stay with the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, stayed what, through till the end. What a truth. I believe. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people left after that accident. They were just like, yeah. I am out. Um, so, yeah, people came, people went, and, you know, everyone who was went to see union? the show. There's no union, was <laughs> Don't believe so. Oh, actually, no, I think there was. If it was like, there? Because they kept bringing people out to do safety inspections, and sometimes they would say, okay, you're going to have to skip a few performances until you fix this one particular thing. There's 40 million bucks there. Spots. That fucking clipboard and the high-vis thing <laughs> yeah. is like, dude, that's, that's a bloke called Tim. Mm. You know, you just, just slip him a fucking hundy, slip him a ghost and tell him, fucking, don't, don't, just don't look up to the right there. There's nothing actually, there's no safety shit there. Uh, so, yeah, I would agree that's probably part of where the money went. Got Do you want through. to um, have a guess at how much the musical ended up costing in the end, how much money... Well, down the gurgler. I do, and I do, and I think because I said $100 million earlier mm. and you weren't scared of that, I'm going to say, is it more? It's more. Is it more? It's more. Ah, $120 million. I'm going to say 87 Fuck, that was, yeah, I was going to go the other <laughs> way. I was like, oh, I've gone the same amount over that I was going to go under. Lindsay's the winner today. $79 million they Fuck. spent on a show that ran for less than three years. And was 30, it was a $30 million production, which already is like mm. most films would yeah. have that or less budget. Yeah. Most Broadway shows, like $15 million would be yeah. an enormous, enormous expense. Like cool. I think Shrek the Musical is the second most expensive musical of all time I and it was get, about 15 mil. Get them on Shrek. We need a Shrek redo, <laughs> don't you reckon? Get the crew Shrek back together. Shrek yourself. See what they... Yeah. <laughs> Shrek yourself. <laughs> oh, Nitro right. Circus and Shrek crossover <laughs> and it's just people doing Shrek backflips. No tech rehearsals, just backflips, all green, costume backflips. It's fucking... 
Get Shrek to Shrek Fest. Oh, it's the show we didn't know we needed. Do you want to guess how much money they made in those three years? That is going to be tough. Heaps. Oh, that's a that's a not heaps no, face. I wouldn't say it's heaps compared to 79 mil. Okay. So you've kind of talked, okay, $40 million. Lindsay? Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go really low. I'm going to say seven. Once again, Lindsay's closest. <laughs> oh, fuck off, really? Around the $15 million mark, yeah. Fucking yep. hell. Bono's lost a couple of mates. Bono, I keep saying yep. Bono. I think Jill's <laughs> laughing at me for that one. No shit. Yeah, they'd sunk $60 million that they will never get back no. in this production. That's why I think the Shrek Nitro Circus crossover is a good idea. You make your money back. Yeah. Shrek Fest. <laughs> Double or nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so they spent all that money and like <laughs> eight people were very, Fuck. very seriously injured over the course of this production. One guy's foot, a, he was a dancer, his foot was crushed in between two oh. moving parts of the stage could never dance again. Like his career was over. And then so lots See, of people. See, that's not, that's, right? that's where this shit's fucked. Shocking, yeah. Yeah, well, that's where it's fucked. It's mm. like that. That's, that's what that person loves doing. Mm. And you have a responsibility there. Yeah. That's really fucked and that's like, you know, it's going to cause them some trauma shit they've got to mm. deal with now. Because uh, of Spider-Man, you fucking yeah. tech rehearsal the Spider-Man. The good news is when they wrapped this show up, there was talk of we're going to yeah, take it, it on tour. Yeah, it was good wrapped up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they were talking about taking it on tour. They were talking about setting it up in Vegas. They were even talking about building a new custom-built theatre in, in London Vegas. for it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, thankfully it hasn't happened. Hopefully they have learnt their lesson. People's feet got crushed and skulls yeah. were cracked open during this show. Don't try doing it again. Don't tempt fate. But if you go to the Just the Gisco Fund Me page, you'll notice <laughs> that we're trying to raise money now to fucking get this production back on. Crossover Shrek Fest, Spider-Man versus Shrek Ooh. on stage. Zero tech rehearsals. In fact, no script. It's all just improvised. With the flavour of... Greek mythology. Lots of pulleys through. and swings and, you know, helmetless kind of, you know, yeah. flying through the A couple of jetpacks. Jet, That'll jet add a little pack. something. Yeah. Needs a jetpack. Needs lots of, yeah, we're going to grease the stage up mm. with, like, Vaseline and everyone's going to wear, yeah, no shoes. And yeah. We're going to try and – Disney on ice but with no roll skates, no ice skates, <laughs> rather. Let's just – Cancel everything and spend the rest of the afternoon workshopping this because we are on to something. <laughs> I think so. And that is just the gist of the most expensive flop ever to hit the stage, Spider-Man. I feel absolutely privileged to be, yeah, <laughs> for you to, to go through, what was it, 13, 13 hours of audiobook? Oh, yeah, and that was just scratching the surface. That was only the first thing I went through. There are documentaries. There are so many interviews and articles out there. Obviously, I'll post links to Mm. these things in the show notes. And I'm clicking all of them. Thank you for that. Thanks for that effort. My pleasure. Thank you both for that effort. That's the funniest shit I've heard in ages. (laughs) I've been having a weird time at the moment and needed that fucking laugh. That was amazing. That was fucking hilarious. If you want to keep the laughs going... You can watch bootleg versions of all of version (laughs) 1.0 and 2.0 on YouTube. People have filmed the entire thing and uploaded it. It's a bit shaky. The audio is terrible. Are you encouraging piracy on here now? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I didn't film it. 
That's right. Yes. Not my fault. It's out there. And I'm watching it. I'm definitely watching it. Oh, yeah. Are you, right now, actually. As much as you can <laughs> manage to get through, um, it's difficult. It, there's a reason people called it the worst musical yeah, of all time. I fucking bet. Mm. And the, the 2010, right, this kicked off. Yep. Phones are out. Mm-hmm. Phones are out. There are so many. Mm-hmm. There, this would be YouTubable to... Like you could YouTube yourself into oblivion, I imagine. Absolutely. I know exactly what I'm doing when I leave here. Yeah, and you can I'll post a link as well. If you are game, you can see the clip of the guy falling ten meters. Not for everyone. Nah. I do really recommend the book. Like I said, it if you get sucked into the story, yeah. it can feel quite intense. But there are a lot of really sort of funny, quirky twists and turns along the way here and there as that, well. That was the book that came out during the yeah, it came out in 2013 while the show was still yeah. on stage. Oh, fuck yes. Um, and there are also some really good interviews with Glenn, the guy who wrote it, um, who explains that it's like he was, towards the end, he was the guy on the Titanic whose job it was to spot the icebergs. Right. And he kept saying, there's an iceberg, there's an iceberg, and Julie kept saying, shut up about the icebergs Starfire. or I'll lock you up in the brig. Right, yeah. yeah. She didn't want to hear it along the way. Nat... Thank you so much for joining us <laughs> on this silly tree. little romp. Um, really thrilled to have had you on yeah, and thanks. really looking forward to your new book and also looking forward to your next live shows. When are you going on tour again, do you know? Uh, I think March. Yeah? Yeah, I think March. Okay, everyone get ready for them. Yeah. That March is not that far away. Clear really. March, just no March, no tech rehearsal either. I'm just going to go <laughs> straight on, on stage. <laughs> Couple of Spider-Man things, yeah. Hoping to break some bones. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a good time. It's gonna be an experience. Make sure you film it on your phone, listeners. Um, so we'll post some links for where everyone can find you on the socials and whatnot, and we'll talk to you again sometime. We hope. Thanks for having me. And you've been on just the gist. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Bye. Listener.